0: Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Dasgupta, a show all about educating patients, students and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show.
1: For m- drug therapy, you know what I mean? Um, let's talk about hormone replacement, just is a-, a broad term. Um, are there roles for estrogen, uh, testosterone, something called a calcitonin, or these estrogen wannabes? These, I think they're called CIRM, select Estrogen receptor modulators.
2: Yeah. What about these hormone thingies? Is there a big role for them? Uh, there absolutely is. Is no doubt that uh, that these therapies you mentioned help. Uh, uh, Decrease bone loss, stabilize bone density, and more importantly, decrease fracture risk. Um, So even hormone replacement therapy for a uh, a menopausal woman, um, estrogen with progesterone uh, as needed, uh, if needed in the presence of Mm -hmm. the uterus, but Mm -hmm. the estrogen is really kind of the the key player here, as we talked about Mm -hmm. that uh, women, uh, postmenopausal women who use estrogen therapy um, uh, have less bone loss and lower risks of fractures as Mm -hmm. compared to women who uh, don't go on hormone replacement therapy, Mm -hmm. um, assuming that they're not using some other osteoporosis uh, medication. Yeah. Um, so do I think that hormone replacement therapy has a role here for, for some women? Yes. Um, uh, if a, if a woman is taking hormone replacement therapy, for another reason, I think, you know, for, for most people now, the most clear indication to go on hormone replacement therapy is for the treatment of hot flashes. Um, and so for a woman who is taking hormone replacement therapy to treat hot flashes, there's no doubt that that woman will benefit in terms of her bones as well, right? And, but one of the main reasons and I probably just still your thunder
1: here is that it's the side effects, right? Of right, sure. estrogen, why that's
2: not the standard of care for osteoporosis, right? Sure, right. So I think over the years, um, hormone replacement therapy used to be very much a, a first-line therapy to help mm-hmm. reduce the risk of osteoporotic fracture. And um, to your point, uh, it has fallen down the chain a little bit uh, for, for many practitioners. And as far as sort of the, the mainstream guidelines out there go, hormone replacement therapy has fallen fallen down to sort of a, a lower tier option um, because we have... Uh, other pharmacotherapies that are that are very effective and other pharmacotherapies that don't have the increased risk of uh breast cancer um and uh, potentially of uh VTE uh, yeah. infe- clotting clotting right clotting, clotting, clotting out there yeah. um, that uh, that estradiol therapy does
1: now what i am not going to let you go yet the certain so. you know i mean there are certain drugs out there hormones out there they're only activating certain receptors so it's not like giving here some estrogen right these are ones that will attack certain receptors that really will benefit that that bone turnover lack mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. term do you, do you use those drugs i think their brand names are like Evista.
2: give me some money uh or <laughs> known as raloxifene do you still use those drugs yeah so raloxifene uh is is a selective estrogen receptor modulator just like you said um it's uh, you know, and on the most basic level, it blocks es- estrogen activity in the breast tissue. So yeah. it actually decreases the risk of breast cancer, obviously a good thing. Yeah. And it acts like estrogen in the bone, which obviously also a good yeah. thing. Um. So it seems like a very much an ideal drug. Um. Yeah. And uh, it is still used out there and it is still uh, uh, FDA approved as a, as a medication to reduce the risk of osteoporotic fracture. It also has sort of fallen down the chain a little bit in terms of guideline recommendations for uh, osteoporosis treatment. Um, because there are some risks associated with it. So the, the clotting risk is still there, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's an increased risk of, uh, blood clots, um, potentially also an increased risk of cardiovascular disease, heart attacks and strokes. Um, although the risk is probably small in the average person, the the main reason why raloxifene has sort of fallen down the chain is that when you look at fracture prevention, it seems to do a a pretty good job at reducing the risk of vertebral fractures, fractures in the spine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but it doesn't have as good of a track record in terms of reducing the risk of nonvertebral fractures Ah. so if we think about hip fractures wrist fractures uh, fract osteoporotic or fragility fractures outside that of makes the spine. Sense. Um, now, obviously, a huge percentage of of uh, osteoporotic fractures do occur in the spine. So it's not like raloxifene is is useless. It certainly is is better than nothing for for mm-hmm. certain patients. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason it's fallen down is because we have other options that have proven fracture reduction uh, uh, or risk proven reduction of fracture risk um, in both the spine and outside of the spine. So. I know we don't use this a lot for osteoporosis, but for
1: people who be, come across the word calcitonin, not mm-hmm. a very popular drug,
2: I think <laughs> it's a nasal spray, right? So uh, so calcitonin, when it's used for uh, osteoporosis uh, fracture prevention, yes, it's administered as a nasal spray. And let me explain, calcitonin is actually something that's going to build your bones, you know
1: what I mean? It's kind of like uh, the opposite of like a, a parathyroid hormone
2: that's going to like, you know break stuff down right it, it, it builds your bones uh unfortunately not exactly um, okay. calcitonin is still considered an anti-resorptive agent meaning okay. that it's still it's it's end result its end mechanism is that it inhibits osteoclasts so okay. the mechanism by which calcitonin would help your bones mm-hmm. is it would inhibit the demolition crew it inhibits um, the demolition crew. Mm-hmm. Okay, so all the all the medications we've talked about thus far are all medications that inhibit the osteoclast that okay. uh, that slow down the demolition crew. Okay,
1: and, and that one just why do we use it?
2: Simply put, it's just uh, no one wants to snort the, the drug. That that's, they have poor data. That's one. Much. That's one part of it. Yeah. Um, the ability to fracture to reduce the risk of fracture um, probably not as strong as many of our other agents. There's also um, some concerns that it might be associated with a cancer risk, multiple Ew. different types of cancer. Okay, um, although that that was you know not uh, not a a, such a strong uh, problem that it was, you know, taken off the market or anything yeah. and still is available. Um, but it's definitely fallen, fallen down the chain. Any sure.
1: of your partners or yourself prescribed to anyone for, for osteoporosis?
2: I have, uh, at this current time, zero patients on it for osteoporosis. I've, I've had, <laughs> I've inherited patients who were on it and I generally take them off of it. And last thing for
1: hormones, I'm in the hormone mood right now.
2: Yeah.
1: Men, me and you, mm-hmm.
2: testosterone, so testosterone would be expected to be helpful for bone health uh in in men if they have low testosterone. Um, so you have to get the blood work first. Correct. You have to prove that um that that, that a given man has low testosterone okay. first mm-hmm. before you would think that the uh the benefits of starting testosterone replacement therapy exogenous testosterone would outweigh the risks of testosterone therapy.
1: Now this leads to my second question. Mm-hmm. If someone before giving drug therapy to a man,
0: mm-hmm.
1: would you say testosterone first and make sure those levels are adequate? Because when we talk about women, we're not saying estrogen first, we're saying drug first based on safety and all these things put together. How's it for men?
2: For men, the recommendation would be any man that you diagnose with osteoporosis based on fracture history. DEXA uh, mm-hmm. and or fracture risk assessment mm-hmm. tool you should get a testosterone level on that man mm-hmm. uh, quick note on the testosterone levels make sure you get them in the morning and make sure you get them while the patient is fasting you mean you have a lot of t- banter about endocrine
1: mm-hmm. stuff I mean cortisol mm-hmm. super high in the morning low at night you mm-hmm. know what I mean is, is testosterone what you call diurnal or correct could, correct it, so it's naturally in the
2: morning it's what higher in the morning oh. lower in the afternoon in the evening significantly yeah. Yeah. And in, in many men, the, the significant, the difference is significant. Okay. Wow. And so in a, uh, in a, in a man who is uh, truly hypogonadal, yeah. he should have low testosterone levels all day long, including in the morning. Okay. Um, but a, a man with normal gonadal function mm-hmm. may have testosterone levels that appear to be low because the reference ranges that you yeah. see on a lab report are constructed using early morning peak testosterones. Yeah. Um, what about so- the
1: fasting?
2: The fasting part. You mean full
1: on fasting? Like eight eight
2: hour fast. What happens if I eat? What happens to my testosterone if I eat? Testosterone levels drop after eating, especially after consuming carbohydrates in the morning. Is it because insulin has influence on testosterone? It's probably a variety of different factors, but yeah, I'm sure. You see how I kind of quickly pulled that up? I love men. You're always all the hormones, Dr. Walsh. I love that. (laughs) No, these are great. Okay. So, but to answer your question, every man man with osteoporosis should get a testosterone level check. If the testosterone is low, Mm um confirmed to be low obviously look for a cause that's another another uh, podcast. another podcast yes. <laughs> um but um but that man should be then started on testosterone therapy unless contraindicated um and then probably though also you would Uh, start that patient on pharmacotherapy in addition to the testosterone. Okay. Not in place of.
1: Gotcha. So now we're going to go away from hormonal therapies and go into medications, right? And I put the medications into three categories, you know, bisphosphonate, which you Mm allude to, which is kind of like the workhorse the go to been around even when you were probably a med student, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? These can be taken orally, it can be taken through the IV. Then there's biologics, always a hot topic, you know what I mean? And we'll talk about, you know, one specific one, denosumab. And i called the other ones anabolic agents, you know, and, and, and I'm going to call these these mimickers of things, that mimicker of parathyroid hormone. We'll talk about that. Well, let's talk about those Is okay. that You mentioned that's kind of like your go-to.
2: And, and why is that? Is it price? Is it ease of taking it? Is it just data? Why bisphosphonates? Uh yeah, a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. The, the bisphosphonates remain kind of the uh for, for your average your average high risk patient, I guess. Yeah. You know, your 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 average osteoporosis patient, uh bisphosphonates are gonna be your go to. Um, bisphosphonates have been around for a long time. Um, yes, definitely around You know, when I was, they (laughs) they were probably around when you were a med student. They probably were. They Um, probably uh, were. uh, But um, (laughs) no, they've been around for decades. Um, Bisphosphonates have a long track record. We know um, generally how they work. Um, We know that they are effective. We know that they're generally pretty safe, um, especially if we, you know, follow some, some sort of proper precautions. Sure. Um, and so they are sort of a good long-term medication, a very potent osteoclast inhibitor. So mm-hmm. a very potent inhibitor of the demolition when crew. Yep. and most importantly, uh, associated with a, a decreased risk of fracture for the most part, for most of the bisphosphonates, a decreased risk of fracture, both in the spine and outside of the spine. Now, in the olden
1: days, mm-hmm. they, God forbid, there was a daily dosing of the drug. Normal, and it has its side effects, you know, and I don't want to get into the esophagus and everything, but do you now prescribe it weekly? Do you prescribe it monthly? Or you're more of like a once yearly IV type of guy?
2: Uh, I prescribe all three. Um, I have patients that are on all three. No one uses daily anymore, right? Uh, no, I, I haven't seen a patient on daily okay. bis- on a daily bisphosphonate in a while. Okay. I think it is still available, but probably okay. harder to come by. Okay. The, the sort of standard formulation, which is the cheapest formulation and yeah. that's what's yeah. what's most widely available and most widely covered yeah. by insurance plans is a once weekly formulation okay. of a lendronate. Uh-huh. Um, so that's that's going to be, you know, probably the the most widely available, most easy to get formulation. Safe, effective. Yeah. Uh, I have I have plenty of patients that take that. You brought up uh, once monthly oral formulation as well. Pay me well. some money, Boniva. There we go, Boniva <laughs> and, uh, and Actinel uh, or Actinel? or Are they uh, taking off? Uh, they both are still available. Um, I would say uh, uh, maybe you should run with uh, Rizendronate a little bit more and uh-huh. try to try to see if you can get something from them. But um, uh, because uh, the the sort of feeling now is there's. Uh, maybe slightly more data showing that resendronate helps with both vertebral and nonvertebral fractures. Mm-hmm. Um, with the uh, the evandronate, we see uh, maybe not as robust data to back up the uh, the non-vertigo. I'm factors. gonna tell
1: you, people it's hard to take medications once a day or multiple yeah, yeah. times a day. But why doesn't they take off? Is it price is the main reason you don't take it? I, would, I like a once a month pill. That's not a big deal.
2: The, for right now, the reason is mostly price. I think okay. um, just that it actually you know even though these drugs are generic, um, there are generic yeah. versions. That the monthly formulations are more expensive than the weekly formulations. Okay. So a lot of insurance plans out there will say you got to try the weekly first before we'll pay for the monthly. But from a um, clinician standpoint, if someone mm-hmm. said, Hey,
1: Dr. Barnett, I mm-hmm. just want to go on a monthly drug. You're okay with that. Uh, right? Absolutely.
2: I have no problem with
1: it. Now, what about the yearly ID? My mom mm-hmm. took the yearly ID. I believe brand name mm-hmm. is reclass.
2: Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I liked it. Mm-hmm. I didn't take it, but I'm saying. Mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm why not that i have lots of patients on iv reclass once a year mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people yeah given the option of taking a pill either once a week or once a month following some you know very specific instructions on how to take it versus coming in for a once a year iv infusion a lot mm-hmm. of patients pick the infusion and i usually ought to be fair, perfectly honest mm-hmm. if patients say you know i don't care you pick for me i'll usually pick the iv infusion for them
1: nice and so the, regardless of those weekly, monthly, yearly, they're all the same good data, essentially.
2: More or less. Again, the only one that maybe is a little bit uh, not up to par with the others is Ebandronate or Boniva. Yeah. Um, But Alendronate or Fosamax, Resendronate, Actinel. Zoledronic acid, reclassed, yeah. all looking pretty good. Nice. Now let's go into these biologics. There's always something inhibiting
1: something nowadays. We learned that from rheumatoid arthritis and COVID and everything. Absolutely. So denosumab really goes back to, and I know you wanted to say this, but I have to show off my medical knowledge. You know what I mean? You know, women or all of us get a little bit older that the osteoclasts really just take off. The reason this happened earlier, is there's certain proteins that we have like osteoprogenin, osteoprotegrin mm-hmm. yeah did, yeah, I, did yeah. I screw that up a little bit yeah. no okay. you did it perfectly oh, thank I was, you i was just echoing yes yeah, Just yeah. echoing me okay yeah. and you know estrogen influences that right yeah. and then what happens is, is that that's going to attach to you know these little ligands i think one of the words the med students want me to say to you is rank ligand right, right? yeah and this is a monoclonal antibody that's going to be blocking rank ligand which actually makes the osteoclast break down and get the demolition crew going, right? Correct. So it's a monoclonal antibody. Where does this fall relative to a bisphosphate? Is this a second-line drug, a first-line drug? And it's injectable, right? You have to inject once a month, don't you? Well, once every six months, twice a year. Six a month. So yeah. where, where does that fall to you in a patient? When should a patient talk about being on this biologic uh, denosumab? I think what's the brand name is. Right. correct okay. Correct.
2: It's also, you know, I'd say for, for sort of your, uh, your lower to average risk osteoporosis patient mm-hmm. who we know is already at a higher risk of fracture to begin with, but mm-hmm. for your patients yeah. who, you know, you're, you're sort of maybe not as worried about them probably uh, uh, Prolia or Denosumab is going to be uh, more of a, a second-line uh, treatment. And if you're failing a bisphosphonate? If you fail treatment with a bisphosphonate, you might think about, about Prolia or Denosumab. Um, and a lot of this is fueled by by cost considerations. Um, Prolia is a lot more expensive than all the bisphosphonates. Um, it still uh, is? It's still mm-hmm. it's not generic yet? No. Um, okay. And... Uh, uh, it's been around for, um, a while. About, about 13 years, yeah. it was approved by the FDA in 2010. So, okay. but if you compare to the track record of bisphosphonates, it's shorter. So, you know, maybe if you're thinking about, uh, about long-term safety and whatnot, we, we maybe have a little bit more with bisphosphonates. So if someone
1: propria. is on a bisphosphonate, if they're having side effects or they're getting worsening based upon percent bone loss. That's when you'd only think about this
2: biologic in the background. That's one situation where you would. Another situation would be if you had a patient who is really high risk to begin with right mm-hmm. so maybe a patient who's already had a fracture or a patient whose bone density is really really low yep. or a patient who on the, the frax tool or whatever yep. risk assessment yep. model use their fracture risk is really really high mm-hmm. you might think about using this as a first line treatment and and some beyond before of perhaps okay. um i do have to say that yep. with prolia it's very very important to realize that prolia now we realize that you should not do what we call a drug holiday with Prolia. Ah. Um, In other words, if you start a patient on Prolia, that patient is either going to be on Prolia indefinitely slash forever for the rest of their life. Or if they're going to come Mm. off the Prolia, Mm. they must be transitioned to another agent, um, most typically a bisphosphonate. Um, So when I have patients who come to me and they say, I want to take Prolia because I don't want to take a bisphosphonate because I heard that XYZ about bisphosphonates, I say, well, here's what you should know about Prolia. If I put you on Prolia today, you're either going to take it for the rest of your life for all the years that you are on this planet, um, or I'm going to have to transit, if you ever want to come off of it, I'm going to have to transition you to another medication, at least for a while. And the medication that's most well studied in that circumstance is the bisphosphate. And the reason being is that
1: the minute you stop the drug, your bone health is going to go
2: immensely back down to bad you are correct it's, wow it's this rebound phenomenon the the analogy i use with my patients is if you think sure. of osteoporosis like a, a truck on a downhill slope yeah. right and there's a there's a building or a brick wall or something at the bottom of that slope and if the truck runs into the wall that's like breaking a bone okay? yeah prolia is really really good at keeping the brakes on the truck as long as you keep giving it every six or seven months, twice a year. Um, If you stop giving the prolia Mm -hmm. um, and you don't replace it with something else after about seven, eight, nine months at the most, the antibodies, the monoclonal antibodies that are the denosumab, they go away. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you get this very rapid activation of osteoclasts. The osteoclasts start chewing away at the bone even faster than probably if you had never put the patient on it in the first place. You see a dramatic drop in bone density, mm-hmm. and you often see patients show up with fractures, sometimes multiple fractures, probably the most commonly seen thing in, in these case series that came out Mm -hmm. were vertebral fractures at multiple levels. Um, so this is why now, uh, if you, if you look at the the labeling for prolia, um, all the guidelines out there, they make it very clear. If you put a patient on prolia, you are basically telling that patient they're going to be on that medication for the rest of their life, Mm -hmm. or you have to make sure they understand um, that they cannot stop the medication without replacing it with something else. That mean
1: that that was worth the whole podcast right there. I don't think many patients do that. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Anabolics. Uh, Let's talk about when it's been around for a while, the parathyroid hormone analog that Mm -hmm. it, it mimics. Now it's weird because parathyroid hormone PTH it breaks down the bone it increases your calcium in the blood keeping it simple for my fans over there now you're telling me if I mimic this hormone it should be breaking down more bone but I'm using it for osteoporosis to build bone can you explain that is
2: it a good drug do you use it in your patients Uh, it's a great drug and I do use it in my patients and so yes the idea that you alluded to as I mentioned earlier that Primary hyperparathyroidism is actually a risk factor for bone loss Thank you. and fracture. Thank right? you. So, the difference between primary hyperparathyroidism and using a PTH analog, a medication that basically looks and acts like parathyroid hormone, is that having uh, tonic elevations, constant elevations in parathyroid hormone, leads to bone loss, leads to activation of the osteoclast and release or, or, or removal of calcium from the bone, right? Mm, um, bad, which is bad, bad, bad. Um, if you have pulsatile elevations mm-hmm. in parathyroid hormone, which occurs like if you were to administer this PTH analog that you're referring to, um, and you get an increase in parathyroid hormone that then goes away several hours later, mm-hmm. a pulsatile increase in parathyroid hormone Actually leads to more, uh, uh, stimulation of the osteoblast relative oh to, God. uh, uh, the osteoclast. Yep. So this is why it's considered an anabolic agent and why it's good for the bones is that, um, pulsatile increases in, in parathyroid hormone levels that go quickly up and then come back down. That leads to activation of the osteoblast.
1: And for my, my listeners, anabolic means build. That's Correct. why it's a building agent, right? Now, how often do you dose, uh, Charaperatite is the generic name for one of these. The brand name is Forteo. Mm -hmm. Um, How often do you have to... It's an
2: injection, right? So it's a subcutaneous injection, so with a short little needle right under the skin, um, very similar uh, to an insulin injection. Mm -hmm. Um, It has to be injected once a day. Um, Ouch! Which a lot of patients do not like. Um, But this is I don't want it. (laughs) I don't want it. I'll never attack you with a uh, porteo needle. Um, But um, so it's injected once a day. This is something that's administered by the patient, so they don't have to come into a doctor's office to get it. Mm -hmm. Um, This is something that a patient or or you know the loved one at home would administer to them Mm -hmm. once a day, uh, every day. And you have you prescribed it. Many patients. So let's yeah. go back. So
1: yeah. bisphosphonates first. Mm-hmm. There's denosumab community to the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Where does teriparatide, you know, this PTH analog fall in? When do you, when
2: do sure. you consider that? I think, you know, most of the, uh, the 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 thought process now out there is that basically we should be dividing our osteoporosis patients up into sort of like uh, our our... Osteoporosis patients and our severe osteoporosis patients, right? Okay. Or we might say our high risk fracture patients and are very high risk for fracture patients okay okay Okay. and so the 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 differences there would be um has your patient already had a fracture because those patients we know are very high risk of having another fracture Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. versus patients that we are just trying to perform primary prevention on so Mm -hmm. patients that we are diagnosing solely on densitometric criteria or Mm -hmm. uh the risk assessment model Mm -hmm. they might be only in this the, the high risk, but not the very high risk mm-hmm. category patients who have really low T scores, yeah. um, which some would say is a T score that's less than negative yeah. 3.0. Some would say is a T score less than negative 3.5. Mm-hmm. They might be in the very high risk for fracture category. So what does well, that mean?
1: You to start them on
2: those patients, right? So, so the reason that we, we make these two categories yeah. is that for the, the sort of standard high risk osteoporosis patient, A bisphosphonate is probably appropriate as initial therapy. Okay for your very high risk category. So your patients who've already had a fracture or your patients who um, have really low Mm T-scores or there's something else about them that you Mm -hmm. think this patient is really high risk for having Mm -hmm. a fracture. Um, There is the the notion out there that these patients, we should maybe be using more aggressive therapy with them from the get-go, right? So maybe not an oral bisphosphonate to start with. Okay. So did they get the
1: FDA approval for severe super osteoporosis? Is there data saying that it's more potent than a bisphosphate in these very severe osteoporosis patients?
2: From an FDA approval standpoint, uh, not exactly. No, the, the FDA labeling doesn't say, um, you know, for use in patients that are very high risk. Um, they still just say for use in helping to okay. reduce the risk of fracture. But is there data right? to compare it to a bisphosphonate? So yeah, the, risk? yes. So the, the data out there would suggest that the very aggressive or more potent mm-hmm. um, osteoporosis medications, which would include basically anything that is uh, an injection or mm-hmm. an infusion, mm-hmm. is probably more potent in terms of reducing the risk of fracture okay. than the oral bisphosphonates.
1: Gotcha. that's why you said oral because the IV bisphosphonates may
2: be just as good, air quote, Coral. as the anabolic. So the, the ones mm-hmm. we would put in that category mm-hmm. of consider these for your high risk patients mm-hmm. would be IV reclast yeah. or IV zoledronic acid, yeah. the IV bisphosphonate, um, denosumab or yeah. prolia, um, and then this other agent you just brought up, Forteo. That makes sense. So it's mm-hmm. not really the categories, it's just giving it through the IV. It seems like the parenteral, the non-oral well, administration yeah. seems to make a difference. Now, for the anabolic medications and we're going to talk about the other, others I'm sure, of course. but the anabolic medications do seem that if you compare them to the anti-resorptive medications, they might have a slight edge even further, even beyond the the IV reclass okay. and the denosumab in terms of fracture risk reduction. Wow.
1: So, and and you know, maybe I'm just asking too much, but I remember when I'm doing my, my board review class that in the olden days, teraparotide had some kind of labeling that there was a high risk for bone cancer. Uh, osteosarcoma. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was only seen in animals, you correct. know what I mean? But I remember I memorized that. <laughs> Is that, can we lay that to rest? The humans, mean you, we're
2: not going to get no bone cancer from this drug, are we? You're correct. So okay. the, what the labeling said was just that when the medication was tested in rats, Mm. a specific type of rat, that some of the rats, Mm. their their bones grew so much, their construction crew became so active Mm. that they started growing bone tumors, uh, osteosarcoma, right? Um, And so when teriparatide Forteo was Mm. approved uh, for use in 2002, it had an FDA black box warning that said, it didn't say it causes osteosarcoma in humans, it Mm. said, We think it caused osteosarcoma in rats. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it could cause osteosarcoma in humans. It wasn't seen in any of the trials that were done up to that point, Mm -hmm. but they said, keep an eye out for it.
1: Right. And if I was just your standard, you know, woman or man, and I just see a little risk of bone cancer. I don't think I'll go through the trials. I'm just get that drug away from me. Sure, right, which is
2: very understandable. Yeah, and so then 18 (laughs) years later, in November 2020, two years ago, um, after accumulating now, you know, more than 20 years of data, if you take into account the the trials that went on before FDA approval, um, uh, the FDA downgraded it from a black box warning to just part of the labeling. And so now it is still in the labeling, but again, all it says is that uh, some of the rats who, who got this medication, developed osteosarcoma. So I think it's more a a warning for rats than it is for humans. Um, not, not something that humans need to be too worried about. So two more drugs and we're still under anabolics, which are
1: bone building everyone. Mm -hmm. The reason why you're here, not because you're cool and my friend, there's this new thing. The first FDA approved medication for men with osteoporosis and, you know, we talked about these other drugs already, and we I just assume men could take him. But this one, you know, you, you go to you, on the internet, and you look up these magazines, you know, they're like, yeah, FDA approved. I'm like, wait a minute, you're telling me these other drugs weren't FDA approved for men? So let's talk about brand name Timlos, which is another type of teraparitide. I can't pronounce this right. Ablaloparitide. A- Ablaloparitide. A- yeah, oh, I heard you. Yeah, man. You, you did it just so. So, right, yeah. um...
2: Any thoughts about that? So, a um which as of now, there's only one brand name, Timlos, mm-hmm. um, is a an analog of another hormone called PTHRP, parathyroid hormone-related peptide. Ah. Um, so, it looks, again, very similar to parathyroid hormone, mm-hmm. but some slight differences, mm-hmm. um, and essentially the mechanisms are going to be very similar as to why it works and why it does what it Mm -hmm. does. Um, it's also administered as a, as an injection, a subcutaneous Mm -hmm. injection. Mm -hmm. It's also administered once a day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in many ways it's, it's very similar. It's the sister drug to Mm -hmm. teriparatide um, also known as Forteo. Um, so uh, many of these drugs we've talked about, in fact, all of the drugs we've Mm -hmm. talked about, um, have also been approved for use in men for a while, okay. including teriparatide or Forteo. Okay. Okay? Um, it's been FDA approved for use in men. Yeah. What the sort of big, big news is, yeah. is that Timlos has now become approved for use in men, whereas prior to a couple of days ago mm-hmm. or a week or two ago, it was not. Um, so, Uh, (laughs) so what men were still being treated for osteoporosis with FDA approved medications prior to a week or two ago, they were being treated with Forteo, they were being treated with Prolia, they were being treated (laughs) with, um, bisphosphonates and all of those were FDA approved, you know, on label uses, but prior to very recently, there were no men who were being treated with Timlos outside of a clinical research situation (laughs) because if a doctor tried to prescribed timlos to a patient um before very recently the insurance company would have said oh that's not an fda approved indication because the data that was available only supported the use in women yeah most specifically in postmenopausal women um there was no reason to think that it wouldn't have worked in men Mm -hmm. it's just that the data wasn't there until more recently
1: and that's Goes to show you, you put your ads out there, right. and they put the word men pretty big. Yeah. And so, of course, all of a sudden you start thinking, but I thought, wait a minute, why are they really blowing up the word men, which is good awareness yeah. for men in osteoporosis, yeah. but that makes sense. And so the last drug I'm going to talk about is very confusing, whether you're a healthcare provider, or a doctor, or even a patient. And that brand name is Avinity, you know, and of course, the generic name is always hard to pronounce, Romosusumab. Yeah, there you go. You know, and it really works on something called sclerostin. Mm-hmm. Can you just explain to me in super layman's terms, sclerostin, and how is that going to really kind of apply to the osteoclast and all sure. that kind of stuff? And where does this drug fall in? Because now I'm really confused. I have options now. Mm-hmm. So where does this fall into your
2: treatment algorithm? So Ivenity uh, is also a, a monoclonal antibody. So it's kind of similar in that one sense to Prolia. They're both biologic agents. But how um, come when I read this article, mm-hmm. they put it under anabolic agent? Uh, because it's both... In it's a both? sense, a biologic agent and an anab- anabolic agent, I guess. Right. We just created so, a new class. There we go. Okay. Um, so Evenity is yeah. more of an of an anabolic agent uh-huh. than than Prolea, which is not at all an anabolic
1: agent. Okay. Prolia
2: is a pure osteoclast inhibitor, a okay. pure inhibitor of the demolition team. Okay. So what does Evenity do? So it's a monoclonal antibody that blocks what you said, sclerostin. So yeah. what's sclerostin. Yeah. Sclerostin what is, is this is this factor, uh, this hormone, in a sense that to some degree, inhibits the construction team. It mm. inhibits the osteoblasts. And to a smaller degree, it, it sort of pumps up and stimulates the demolition team, the osteoclasts, okay. right? So sclerostin... But, 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 but pumps up the building team more. No, sclerostin... Scler- I'm talking about what does sclerostin oh, do? Oh, by itself. Right? Sclerostin, okay. if left untouched, what yeah. does sclerostin do? Sclerostin does bad things, we would assume. Sclerostin is bad, okay? Sclerostin uh, inhibits... The construction team, bad, bad, and to a lesser extent, pumps up the demolition team. Ooh, so I hate sclerostin. Right? We, we don't scleros- like sclerostin our body. Okay. So by inhibiting sclerostin, okay. which is what Evenity does, okay. um, you are, uh, you're taking the brakes off of the osteoblast. Mm-hmm. So you are allowing it to, to do construction. Ah, so yes, okay. it is a, it is an anabolic agent because it's taking the brakes off of the construction team. Um, nice, I and mean, that's
1: why it's a monoclonal antibody, because it's against that sterostin protein. Correct, correct. So it does do both, yes. nice. Well, so okay.
2: so yeah, if you look at the data and, and the people who mm-hmm. are promoting Avenity, they yeah. say, well, yes, there's evidence that it's both an anabolic and an anti-resorptive yeah. in one, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, if we're trying to just classify it, we usually put it in the anabolic category because okay. Okay. it seems like the anabolic effects are probably the more profound effects um, than the anti-resorptive effects of so the, the so construction the, effects. this comes out,
1: you know, and I got to tell
2: you, it's kind of sexy. You know what
1: I mean? It was, yeah. you know... <laughs> We're doctors. Yeah, oh yeah. This, Our bar is really low. That's cool, you know. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you, we've only, we had this phosphates forever. We yeah. had, you know, PTH analogs for a while. It's a new category. Yeah. You kind of like a new category. Sure. So where does this fall in into clinical practice? When would you consider using some brand name Evinity?
2: Still. And so, how do you give it, by the way, and what dosing? It's it's a, what, al- how often? Also a subcutaneous injection. Okay. Um, it's actually given as two separate subcutaneous injections each time you go to get a dose. Um, it has to be given as two separate injections okay. um, to try to minimize uh, or, or mitigate the the uh, effects of having a, a skin reaction, uh, okay. sort of a localized uh, reaction, mm-hmm. which is still a common side effect. But um, when they when they tried giving the whole dose as one injection, yeah, they are really bad in injection. It site was reactions. the same day that you. So, got both so the same day, you mm-hmm. would go. You'd get two injections in two different sites in your body. <laughs> okay, you do that once a month for twelve months. Um, every so time you go it's two injections, two injections, day. two injections. So you can't do it at home. You have to go to a healthcare provider. Correct. So um so evenity uh, has to be given by a healthcare provider, yeah. doctor, nurse, pharmacist. Mm-hmm. Um Prolia has to be given by a healthcare provider, really? doctor, nurse, yeah, I pharmacist. Thought was, I thought it was you go at home and you inject yourself. On, only if you're a doctor a nurse or a pharmacist. I guess so. Um uh, or you otherwise have proper training to do so. Um, Reclast, which is an IV infusion, obviously oh. has to be given in an infusion yeah. center. Yeah. Um Forteo and Timlos, those are given at home. Those are self-injections. Because it's daily. daily. I mean, no one's going to come in because okay. of those things.
1: Right. Um, mm-hmm. so, so is your endocrine place here at USC set up? Is your staff and nursing and support staff... Can they do the injections at your endocrine clinic?
2: Absolutely. That's what, that's what it's meant for. We have patients on Avenity. We have patients on Prolia. We have patients on Reclast. Gotcha. So where does it fall? in? when, when are you going to some person? The Avenity, again, falls into that very high risk severe osteoporosis category. Mm-hmm. If you're going to consider using it as a first line agent, okay. um, that those are the types of people you're going to use it in. So someone who's either already had an osteoporotic fracture or someone who has very, very low T scores mm-hmm. or someone who for whatever other reason, um, you think is very high risk for fracture.
1: So there is a still not well-defined guidelines when it comes to some of these drugs. That sounds like, I think we're both Absolutely. on the same page. Bisphosphonate oral, which mm-hmm. probably a lot of listeners are on. Mm-hmm. If you're a high risk, you got to give it a parental meaning IV or mm-hmm. subcutaneous. Mm-hmm. You could give the IV bisphosphonate mm-hmm. at the same time. If you want to commit yourself lifelong, the monoclonal antibody, like a denosumab at the same time, a daily injection, mm-hmm. which is like a teriparatide, for example, or, or once again, it could be a vanity, mm-hmm. which is going to be going and getting injecting. But, there still isn't a clear cut algorithm where you follow the dotted line of what you do next. It's still, there's no head to head trials at that high risk level, giving it parentally, which is best. Did I say that? Correctly?
2: Uh, I generally? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot more for us to learn. Um, yeah. And I think to your point, yeah. I mean, Avenity uh, is the newest, a new drug on the market yep. you know that that was uh fda approved in 2019 so you know three going on four years ago um you know a uh, not not too far mm-hmm. behind there um like i said teriparatide has been on the market for for over 20 years now but you know in the grand scheme of things that still is not that long um the other major consideration here and the reason why mm-hmm. these drugs maybe have still while well, the why the anabolic agents haven't necessarily floated to the top uh, besides, you know, uh, a lack of a, a, safety record, or at least the lack of an established track record yep. is their cost, right? These medications are extremely expensive. Awesome. Um, and so, yep. um, from a, you know, a population standpoint, you know, are we, um, we, we should only deploy these medications on the patients who are at the highest risk. Right. So that's well why that's why the, these these guidelines and these algorithms that, that do exist say, you know, we shouldn't be automatically putting every patient with osteoporosis on an anabolic agent because yeah. the anabolic agents are way more expensive by orders of magnitude yeah. compared to um especially the bisphosphonates.
1: I can see everyone just clapping right now, like <laughs> you're you're my favorite endocrinologist. Uh one last thing is I don't want to end it on a drug note. Sure. Because we yeah. really we drugged it up yeah. quite a bit. Um, <laughs> Any just uh lifestyle changes you, you like to tell your patients yeah. about
2: your process, things that, you know, they could just do. Yeah. So okay. we, we talked earlier about calcium and vitamin D. Yep. A lot of my patients ask me about other vitamins and supplements and minerals and things like that. So some patients ask me about magnesium, boron, strontium, vitamin K. <laughs> um, and and there certainly is, uh, yeah. it, uh, is some, there's some evidence you could find for all of these things. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, but I would say that the, the evidence, to support their use in terms of either preventing bone loss or more importantly, preventing fracture risk is pretty flimsy. Okay? Yeah, okay. I, to be honest, the evidence to support using calcium and vitamin D is pretty flimsy too, like we talked about, but okay. at least there's more evidence behind those than a lot of these other things I said. So when patients ask me, Dr. Barnett, what do you think about me taking fill in the blank with any supplement yeah. that is not calcium or vitamin D? Yeah. My usual response to them is I don't have any reason to believe it's harmful. Uh, and if you want to take it, I, I don't have a problem with you taking it, but I'm not telling my patients to go out and get these things. Okay. Well said. Um, so that's as far as other vitamin supplements, mm-hmm. things like that, go patients ask, are there things I should avoid in terms of food supplements, yeah. whatever. Generally the answer here is things that we know are not good for our overall health are also not good for our bones. So things that probably people are trying to minimize or avoid already, alcohol consumption, tobacco consumption, caffeine consumption. Uh, sometimes I say this to patients and they give me this big wide. eyed look like, Oh my God, I can't believe the doctor's <laughs> telling me to stop consuming caffeine. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm just saying, be mindful of your consumption, try to minimize it. Or, or, you know, if you're drinking five cups of coffee a day, try to t- tone it down to <laughs> a, a, a few less. Right. If you're sweating and tacky carding, that then may be a little too much tone, to it, down, tone <laughs> it down, tone it down. We also know that uh, carbonated soft drink, so Coke, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, uh, but also diet soft drinks, Diet Coke, Diet Pepsi, Diet Dr. Pepper. There's uh, uh, certain elements in these soft drinks, uh, uh, phosphoric acid that we we think it's postulated might be um, related to, uh, to loss of bone, maybe a higher fracture risk, although again, it's, you know, there's probably things, a lot worse things out there you could do um, <laughs> than a diet soft drink, but there's lots of reasons to avoid them as well. well what about uh, uh, going to the gym? Okay, so yeah, so then people ask, well, yeah, what about exercise. Um, Mm -hmm. The the short story or or the big picture here is uh, people that are more physically active have fewer fractures than people that are less physically active. So I tell my patients, pick an activity that you like to do, that you enjoy doing, that is practical for you to do, and that you feel comfortable and safe doing it. And do it regularly. Um, Because we also have pretty good evidence to show that the, the regularity, the consistency is more important is probably more important than, than doing, you know, one really good activity, but doing it very infrequently. Of right. Course, of course. Um, yeah. so, um, I tell patients, you know, mm-hmm. when your weight bearing exercise, you know, always gets thrown out there as the thing to do. And I love weight bearing exercise. I think patients should do it, but if they don't like doing weight bearing exercise, if they don't feel comfortable doing weight bearing exercise, if it's not practical for them to do it because they don't want to join a gym and they don't have this stuff at home and don't want to get it i tell patients you know what just pick any activity that you like doing and just do it regularly i agree even if it's just a walk around the neighborhood that's better than nothing and and doing it consistently is more important than doing you know weight-bearing exercise or resistance training but only doing it you know once a month yeah well dude are you ready to give me a double high five dude
1: you know why we did that uh everyone is because this is the first dr Raj podcast. In person, he's. Yeah. I just dragged him from his office here at USC and put him in my office. But thank you so much for coming today. My pleasure. I already know that I'm going to have you back. You okay. know, what, you know what I'm going to. You're going to do next with me? Hit me. Thyroid. Okay. Uh, now it's uh, recorded. You're going to do thyroid with me. But everyone, I know I, I'm in a little overboard on this, but I'm actually going to put this not only in the Doctor Raj podcast, but my other podcast is called Beyond the Pearls, and I think that we have a fine balance of how. Knowledge is for everyone. It's for healthcare professionals and just for our patients, for everyone. And I think, you know, Dr. Barnett does such a good job in explaining things. I hope everyone enjoyed this podcast and I'll see you again soon on the Dr. Raj podcast.
0: Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.